0: All right. Good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 2. If you want to turn there in your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 2. been a good week. Got a lot done this week around the fellowship here, the building anyway. Hope you've had a good week as well, as good as, good as can be expected, I guess. Um, a lot of ministry opportunities out there, and I hope we're all taking advantage of them. Um, this is a special chapter to me. It's one of the chapters that the Lord gave me when uh, he called me into the ministry. Um, So it's very personal for me. I'll try not to make it too personal, Um, but I think it's very valuable for all of us. I think if you were going to write a book about ministry, uh, maybe a Bible study on ministry and what it means to be called to the ministry, this is definitely one of the chapters you'd include. Um, As we see the transition from Elijah the prophet, God's man on the scene, to the power being given to Elisha. And so God is switching uh, men here to be used. And, uh, there's some training that's been going on. It was all the way back in first Kings chapter 19 that, uh, Elisha was called into the ministry and Elijah threw the mantle on him. Um, and he's been following him around ever since and has been, uh, being apprenticed, so to speak along the way. If you remember, Elisha was called while working. He was doing his normal everyday job. He was out farming, tilling the land. Um, and God had called him and said, I want you to leave the oxen, leave those plows, and come and, and, and be my minister, my man on the scene. And of course, there was just that brief conversation, that hesitation that he had. Um, Should I say goodbye to my mom and dad first? And Elijah's like, don't ask me, ask the Lord. I have nothing to do with this. I'm just doing what God's called me to do. And that was Elisha's first lesson in ministry. Elijah isn't the authority He wasn't the authority, and Elisha needed to learn that right away. I'm just doing, Elijah says, what God's called me to do. Elisha, anything from here on out is between you and the Lord, and we'll see that a lot in this chapter. As three different times, Elijah tells Elisha to go ahead and stay here. I'm going to move on, and we'll see the benefits of Elisha not willing to do that, saying no to this man of God. Um, and it's an interesting study in and of itself, just, just that alone. Um, if you noticed on the comments there, I've pinned to the top of those comments how to share this uh, Facebook Live feed. Uh, it's important. Uh, this is how we reach the lost. We've had, if you've noticed and looked back at any of our other posts, there's thousands of people that have, have been touched by it, uh, maybe not viewed it, uh, and then a smaller portion, maybe half of that, have actually watched a little bit of it. But then we have about seven to 800 people that watch through the entire thing, which is, if you understand, that's three times the size of our congregation when we're here in the building. The sharing that you do, as opposed to watch parties, is different. There's a reason we ask you to share and not do a watch party. It's fine if you want to. We're not telling you what to do, but a share... When you share it, it goes to all your contacts. Everybody knows you're watching. It's up to them whether they join in or not. They may not. It's fine. But you're definitely letting them know, first of all, that you're watching and that they can watch. And then all the comments, if they decide to make any, show up on our feed. And that way we can respond. If you do a watch party, uh, we can't see their comments. And so there's no way for us to minister to them in case they need prayer. Uh, and And that's fine. You'll need to do that, which is great. You'll need to answer their prayers or pray with them uh, and uh, uh, comment back and and so on. So uh, we've pinned to the top of the page how you do it. You push share, and then it says, I need you to write a post. You don't have to write anything. You just hit that button, write post, and then the next button is post. Uh, And that's how we get so many people reached uh, with the Word of God. Um, It's as if we're doing street witnessing, but so much better because we're reaching thousands of people. So... That's why we encourage that if you can do that. That's even going to be the case when we come back. When we all get back together in this building, um, I don't want to lose this. Uh, We want to continue to do this. Uh, Continue to bring your phones, to check in at the Facebook live feed and share it there and then set it beside you on the chair. I don't care. But make sure that the people in your life that you've been praying for can still hear the word of God. Um, that may never darken the door of a church, but they're still beginning to get it's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to begin a work in their life, for them to stumble across, as JC prayed, this feed and maybe be changed by it, not by Calvary, but by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God being preached and taught. So that's that's my little thing. So I encourage you, share it if you can. Uh, if you're willing to do that, share that post. All right, Elijah. Uh, Chapter two, second Kings. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha uh, from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha And said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. And there's an exclamation point there. So he's telling him to, you know, be quiet. I won't say it, but he's, you know, be quiet. Now, there's so much there. This is going to happen three different times. So bear with me as I go over this. Um, Elijah is still giving Elisha permission, so to speak. Uh, You don't need to follow me. It's completely up to you whether you follow me or not. And we're going to see a lot of similarities to what Jesus would do with the disciples. He would call them to follow him. Come follow me. And it was up to them whether they left their nets or whether they Matthew left the tax collecting table or whatever. But they needed to physically get up and follow after him because he wasn't going to hang around the table. He wasn't hanging around the boats. He told them, I want you to come follow me. And he left. It was up to them whether they followed him or not. And that's the same thing with Elijah and Elisha. Elijah says, threw the mantle on him and kept on going. And Elisha had to make a decision pretty quick. And he he made a good one. He decided to follow the Lord, follow the Lord's calling in his life. And so he's giving him this permission throw out. "Uh, You don't need to go on with me to Bethel. The Lord's calling me there. Very important. Elijah is sent by God. Elijah is sent to do ministry, told where to go. Uh, when it comes to serving God, we're, we're simply his messengers, his errand boys, uh, his errand girls. Uh, we're here to do what the Holy Spirit leads us to do, what the Lord tells us to do. We don't venture off on our own. We, we don't have our own uh, plan, our own schedule. We do exactly what God wants us to do. And he makes that clear. I've been called by God, Elijah says, to go on to Bethel. He's sending me there, but you don't need to follow me. And Elisha's response is correct. I understand that, but I will not depart from you. I'm staying as close to you as possible. Um, I know this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to follow you. And Elijah's like, okay, I, you know, fine, get in the back. So we see that happening again here, the 50 prophets showing up. Um, we'll talk about these guys in more detail a little bit later on in the chapter. Um, they're They're a deal. Um, they're a deal. It, in this, in a chapter, when you study it or you get prepared to, you know, kind of take in everything, first thing you want to do is is find out who, who's talking, who, who's who's supposed to be watching, and who all who is all present in that chapter. So we've really got four groups of people. You've got Elijah; he's one of them. We've got Elisha; he's the second one. We've got these uh, prophets uh, from the the Sons of the Prophets, is what they're called. Great name for a motorcycle gang, if you're interested. Sons of the Prophets. Um, And then you've got this group of people that we don't hear from because make no mistake about it. There's a ton of people that we're not hearing from. So they're there. We're just not hearing them. We're only hearing from those three, those first three, Elijah, Elisha, and the sons of the prophets. uh, But we're not hearing from that fourth group. Okay. So they're watching. They're the silent observers, you know, of the story. And then there's of course us reading it. So when I say that, We've got Elijah and Elisha doing their thing, and we've got the 50 prophets being observers, and they're watching, and they've they've always got some input, unfortunately. They always have something to say. This is a ministry between these two men, Elijah and Elisha. They're following God. God is leading Elijah. God has told Elisha to follow Elijah, so Elisha is following God as well. They're both following the Lord. Elisha, some may confuse it as Elisha is like a, a puppy Uh, following Elijah around, but that's not the case. Um, They misunderstand the relationship. God has told Elisha to follow Elijah. And so by being obedient and following him, he's being obedient to God. And that's important. Um, To the casual observer, to the 50 prophets, I'm not so sure they get that. I'm not so sure they understand that Elisha is simply following what God has told him to do by following Elijah and learning from him, waiting for his uh, transition you know, when Elijah gets taken up and Elisha uh, is the new man on the scene. And so these 50 prophets are saying, because uh, they're excited, sometimes they get prophecies um, Did you know that the Lord's going to take away your Lord from over you today? And uh, of course he does. He's Elisha. Uh, sometimes you wondered, uh, these 50 prophets keep showing up throughout this, throughout this study, throughout this chapter. And it seems like they want to know more than Elisha does. They want to help Elisha out in his ministry and, and, and make sure he knows, you know, Hey, you know, I've got the scoop here. Did you know I've got the scoop? And Elisha's like, I've got the scoop too. I I haven't stopped hearing from the Lord. I'm still hearing from the Lord. I'm still walking with him, you know? Um, And and in fact, I'm the one that's going to replace Elijah, you know, and and he doesn't say it, but, and, and you're not Mr. 50 prophets, um, and so you see this happening. You see these guys stepping in, and they're annoying. They're just a bunch of noise. They're not helpful. They, they just like to make sure everybody knows they know. It's like um, the gifts of the Spirit are wonderful, but unless the gifts of the Spirit are being used to be a blessing to somebody, we're a resounding gong, Paul tells us in Corinthians. We're just making a bunch of noise. Look at me. I can speak in tongues. Look at me. I can prophesy. Look at me. That's wonderful. I'm so happy for you. But if it's not a blessing to people, if it's not being used for ministry, well, what's the point? Uh, you're, you're a resounding gong, and that's what these 50 prophets end up being. They're just a, they're just a noise in the background of Elisha as he's trying to see clarity and follow the Lord. So that being said, we don't want to be one of those prophets, one of those 50. But more importantly, we're we're more in the class of Elisha now. As I make the comparison between myself and Elijah and Elisha, I, I'm by no means saying that I have the same authority or the same power of, his, of the spirit. I, I'm not saying I'm in the same class. I am saying, though, the ministry is the same. When we're called into ministry, it's the same as these guys. And Elisha is simply and needs to learn how to hear from the Lord, but also learn how to tune out the noise because there's always noise in the ministry. There is always noise. A couple times, Paul relates the Christian or, or, or compares the Christian to a soldier. Soldiers are trained and uh, desensitized to certain things so that they don't respond the way a normal civilian would respond. Okay? Uh, a first responder, for example, uh, a fireman, uh, we as you know, normal folks prepare fire plans, and our fire plan is to how to get out of the place when it's on fire, right? Uh, we need a fire escape plan. We have fire escape drills and so on. Firemen, exact opposite. They have a fire plan for sure, but it's how to go towards it, how to go into it, how to find the source, how to put it out. Same with a soldier. A soldier, when it hears gunfire, well, first we duck. We'll figure out where it's coming from. And then you go forward and try to take it out and remove it. As Christians, we're called to act differently than the world does. We're called not to respond the way the world responds to certain things. This this uh, epidemic thing that we're going through right now. As Christians, we're called to not respond the way others would respond in this case. Okay? With fear and trembling and 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 hoarding and all these things. We're called to a whole different calling there. Elisha has to learn how to not respond like the 50 prophets, not respond like the rest of the world, but to respond to ministry opportunities the way God gives them, the way God wants him to. That takes some training. That takes some thought. That takes focus on what God wants you to do. Listening to the Holy Spirit, being prayed up, being uh, studied up, to show ourselves approved, being ready to give a reason for the hope which lies within us, because we don't know when we're gonna, but we wanna be ready for that. And so we train, we practice, we don't respond to the world, to the circumstances around us the way everybody else does. And Elisha's learning that there's gonna be noise. And Elisha's response is correct. Be quiet. That's all we have to do is quiet it. You just be quiet. I tune you out. It you're not the spirit. You may want to be the Holy Spirit in my life, but you're not. Um, I'm going to pay attention to God and do what he calls me to do. And you need to tune out that noise from all the folks that see God using you and then want to join in and help you make your decisions, help you be led of the Lord. It's like, no, that's not how it works. All of us are called into ministry, different spheres of influence. All of us, every one of us has a different set of friends on Facebook. Some of them overlap, but a lot of them don't. And only you can reach some of the people in your book. That's important. That's why we share these feeds. I don't have some of the friends you have all over the country, but you do. And so only you can minister to them the way God wants you to. It's your ministry, not just there, but anywhere. Walking down the street at your employment when we ever get back to work. You know, wherever it is, we're called to minister to those people. And there's going to be a lot of noise. Here's what you want to do when you go into your job. Well, that won't work in my employment. I need to minister this way. You know, only you know, and only the Holy Spirit should lead and guide us. And so we see that first step here. Uh, Keep quiet. Keep quiet. In Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15, when it comes to serving the Lord, there's going to be a lot of distractions. He says, now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served uh, that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's the first thing. It's the first step in being used by God is I'm not going to serve these other gods. Paul writes, none of these things move me. None of these uh, things going on in the world move me. I'm not moved by other gods. I'm not moved by Satan. I'm not moved by, I'm moved by my Lord. Really important. I am only moved by my Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not moved by people, and I'm not moved by other gods. I'm only moved by Jesus. When we see them being called here, he sent me to Jericho and he's going to be sent to two other cities. He's only moved by the Lord. Otherwise, I stay put. Otherwise, I do what I'm supposed to do here, but I'm not moved by anybody else. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I cannot please God any other way but by faith. If I act in ministry any other way other than by faith, which means I believe God told me and therefore I move, then I can't please him. To move by presumption, to move like these 50 prophets are trying to get Elisha to move is not by faith, and we're going to see that later on. He's actually going to fall for it at one point. And it's not the Lord. God's not in it. We've got to please God by faith. That means I listen to him, I believe him, I do what he tells me to do. I don't go off of the things of the world and the noise that's all around me. I've tuned that out, or I'm able to anyway. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, it's going to take endurance. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those people that walk by faith, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We serve God because we choose to. We please God by faith. But as we do this, it's going to take endurance. You know, One year of serving the Lord isn't endurance. Serving the Lord for your entire life, that's endurance. We're called to that. As Christians, we're not called to serve God for a time. We're called to serve God forever. He may change our tasks. He may change our uh, assignments, maybe, but we never stop serving the Lord. We're always serving the Lord. It's got to be through endurance and be prepared for that. Endurance is hard. Endurance is when you want to quit, you don't quit. That's what it is. And so when uh, the noise gets really loud or when you feel disheartened or down or low, that doesn't matter those are your feelings. Fine. I'm not denying that you feel those things, but it doesn't mean you stop serving God. You serve God in those things, through those things. You'd be surprised how serving God can take you through those things and get you over those things and how your feelings change. We don't go by feelings. We go by faith. We go by God's word. We don't go how I feel in the morning. We wake up and we do what God's called us to do, regardless of our feelings. Endurance, endurance. And so he tells him, I want you guys to be quiet. Verse six, then Elijah said to him, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me on to Jordan. Again, being sent by God. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that. So that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah and Elisha or Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Now, I'm gonna stop there just to pause, but it's interesting what he's just done. He has asked Elisha two different times now, I want you to stay here while I go on. I don't know if it was a test. I don't know if he was hoping he would say, no, I'm gonna follow you, but it seems to be kind of a routine now. You don't need to follow me, God's called me over here. Oh no, I'm gonna follow you. And it seems like we know what he's gonna say, there's no way. But when asked about the double portion He says, that's a hard thing. The only way you're going to get that double portion of my spirit is if you're with me. Very important. What he's been asking him to do is to not be with him, but the only way he's going to get his double portion of his spirit that he's asked is if he's with him. It's as if Elijah knows you need to be alongside of me, but I'm not going to make you do it. I'm not going to be the one to tell you. And if you're not alongside of me when it happens, then that's the way it is. So, you can bet that Elisha is not going to keep his eye, take his eyes off of him, because he really wants that. I really want to be all that God wants me to be. I really want to be there. I'm going to follow. I'm going to stay there because I want that double portion. I want that. What a great, what a great prayer. It reminds me of Solomon's prayer. Remember King Solomon, second or the fir, or, uh, the third king of of, of Israel. I. I I don't know how to do this. I, I don't know how to run a country. I don't know how to take care of all these people. So if you're asking me, God, what I would pray for, I'm asking for wisdom. I want that above all else. Great prayer. Good good question to ask God. Good request from God for yourself. Same here. Elisha knows if I'm going to do what you've been doing, I know I'm going to meet a double portion of your spirit. I don't want to do this on my own. I don't want to have to... Uh, I need it. I absolutely need a double portion. And he says, that's fine. That's a hard thing you've asked for. But I guess if you see me, then it's going to happen. If not, not. In other words, once again, Elijah says, it isn't going to be up to me. It'll be up to you and it'll be up to your God. If you see me, great. If you don't, it's not going to happen. That's between you and the Lord. Now, the 50 prophets are watching from a distance and there are always 50 prophets watching from a distance and they're seeing all these things unfold. They're watching the relationship. They just watched the Jordan get parted. None of those guys can do that. None of those guys can make the water stop. None of those guys have that kind of faith. They're used. I think maybe some of these guys are the ones we see as unnamed prophets throughout these two books. They kind of show up on the scene and give a word maybe or something, but that's it. But not a lot of power, not a lot of oomph behind it. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says to the guys, And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the calling that Elisha has. These guys were fishing. The disciples were fishing. Elisha was plowing and he calls them from that work to come follow him. And they both had a decision to make. Am I going to leave my nets? Am I going to leave my plows? Am I going to leave my employment to go do this? Is this what you want me to do, God? And God says, absolutely what I want you to do, but you have to do it. You have to do that. And so... He calls him that, I'll make you a fisherman, but you've got to follow me. Same with Elisha, he knows that. I've got to follow him in order to be what God wants me to be. Now, the 50 prophets, I don't know how you get into that school. They call it a school of the prophets later on. I don't know if you just sign up, if you just paid some tuition, if you just joined them, if you thought maybe you wanted to have a calling on your life, so you showed up. But I noticed this, Elisha doesn't go to that school. I'm going to pause there. Elisha doesn't go to that school. Elisha gets called from plowing and goes straight to the top, goes straight into ministry, goes straight to do what God's called him to do. And now there's a lot of on, on the job training for sure, but he goes right into it. There is no classes to take, there are no uh, semesters to fulfill, there is no tuition to pay. In Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, it says this about the power of God. As the guys were looking and watching uh, for Jesus to uh, ascend into heaven, it says this, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. See some similarities here. If you don't know the story, Elijah is about to be taken up in a storm into the clouds. And he's going to be left here, Elisha is, with only one thing for equipping for the ministry. And that's a double portion of the Spirit. These guys, the disciples, the only way that they can serve God, they were called from work. They were told to follow him. And yet they were told to wait until the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them so that they could minister as well. God does the calling. We do the following. God does the equipping. He fills them with the Holy Spirit so they're equipped. These guys didn't go to school. They didn't go, you know, uh, pay tuition, didn't, didn't have to do their semesters, didn't have to write their paper, their thesis, whatever it is. None of that stuff. They were called from God from working, went right into the ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I say that because these 50 prophets are watching all this unfold, and they keep trying to step in. Do you not know that he's going to be taken from you? And he says, just be quiet. I don't want to hear it from you guys anymore. Verse 11, then it happened as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. It splits Elijah and Elisha from each other. Elijah went up by the whirlwind or a storm into heaven and Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he'd also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Elisha's going to do a lot of miracles. He's going to do a lot of amazing things, but this is the most important for him. How do I know that God's still with me? I mean, as long as I was with Elijah, I was kind of part of the ministry. I was kind of there. I kind of Every miracle that Elijah did, I kind of did. I kind of felt a part of it. But now he's gone. And now I don't know where I stand with God. And so he takes that same mantle that he saw Elijah use earlier, does the same exact thing, except go in the opposite direction. And it works. That was huge for Elisha to know that the power of God that rested on Elijah now rests upon him. Very important. It doesn't make him prideful or arrogant, but very encouraging to him to know. No one else saw it except for these 50 prophets that are watching from a distance. And they've always got input and they always will. But for Elisha, super important that he see this, that he understand that. God will give us moments like that, every one of us in the ministry. And you'll try to maybe relate it to other people. There I was, and I was praying, and all of a sudden this thing happened. It had to be God. Nobody else knew I was praying that. And there it was. And your friends and your family, sometimes the 50 prophets, will be standing there going, "Mm mm-hmm, that's just wonderful, Bob. I'm so glad, Sarah, whatever your name is, you know that's just wonderful. Isn't Jesus good? And you can see it in their eyes. They, they don't get it. And that's okay. It didn't happen to them. It wasn't for them. It was for you. Sometimes those are things we keep in our hearts. Sometimes those are things we write down in our Bibles. The day it happened, what happened, what I was reading, how it was answered. All these things, these moments with God are for us to encourage us in our walk with him, to know that he's with us like he was with them. Am I pretending? Am I faking it? When I pray and lay hands on people for healing, or I hope this happens, or I, uh, you know, am I just going through the motions, or is there really some power happening here? Am I really being used by God, you know? And God will let you know, yeah, I'm using you. I'm using you. But sometimes you got to keep those things to yourself. They're just for you. So we see this mourning taking place with Elisha. He says, my father, my father. Now, that goes right against what Jesus says, you're not supposed to call anybody your father, we're told, right? And and we take that to such extremes. What he means is there's not supposed to be a heavenly father over you other than the true and living God is what he's talking about. Of course, I can call my dad father if I want to. And my kids can call me father. They're not saying that. My kids are not saying, dad, you're the God that I worship. Of course not. And so when we see Elisha saying, my father, my father, he doesn't worship Elijah, but he's a mentor to him. He's someone he looks up to. He's his spiritual father. Paul says that to all of the the churches. He says, especially to the Corinthians, I'm your spiritual father. You're my spiritual children. He's not being arrogant. He's saying, no, without me, you would have known Jesus Christ. I brought you to the Lord. And now I can't even come talk at your church because I don't have the qualifications that these other guys do because I don't have papers. I can't, I'm the one that led you to Jesus, you know? And so, when he mourns over the loss of his spiritual mentor, over his spiritual father, this it's a wonderful thing in the sense that he, he was attached. It was good. This is one of those passages God gave me concerning Calvary Chapel. That's why I am a pastor of Calvary Chapel, and I won't be a pastor of any other church other than a Calvary Chapel. I'm not saying other churches are bad, but that's the one God called me to. That's the one God saved me in. That's the one God led me to. Pastor Chuck Smith is the one that he first brought me to as a teacher, and I love the teaching, and the Holy Spirit was upon Pastor Chuck, but do I worship Pastor Chuck? Of course not, but is he Elijah to me? Very much so, absolutely. Now, am I Elisha? No, I'm probably more like the 50 prophets. I'm not putting myself in that category, but This is one of those chapters where there's going to be a bunch of people saying, oh, yeah, you know that, Elijah, and oh, yeah, that, and all that. Hey, fine, but as for me, he's going to be my spiritual father. He was. He led me to the Lord. He's the one that first taught me, and, and that's where God's called me to be. You have your own. And so there was a great morning when we lost Pastor Chuck. It was a it was a difficult thing for a lot of guys, more so for the first generation Calvary guys, I'm sure. For me, I'm like a grand, great grandson pretty much of, of that group. Um, but it doesn't matter. He's always going to be that to me, no matter what other people say, what other people, uh, whether they move from that teaching or not. Now, he's not a a cult leader. He's not anything like that. He never told anybody to follow him. He wanted us all to follow Jesus, and we do. But he has a special place in my heart as a man of God, simply put, right? Elisha has that relationship with Elijah. He has that, and he's missing him. And now he grabs the mantle, and now it's up to him to be God's man on the scene. It's up to him to see, uh, hear from the Lord, and only hear from the Lord to tune out the noise and to go do exactly what God's called him to do. It's up to him to do that. And so he does. He takes that mantle off and he tries it out. He whacks it and he says, where's the God? Where's the Lord God of, of Elijah? Here he is. And I'm with you now. How encouraging. When the disciples were told after watching Jesus rise up into heaven, ascend, they were told to go Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And that Jesus promised them while he was still alive, I'm going to send the helper to you that you can minister in my power and not in your own strength. And so they did exactly what they were called to do. They went to the upper room and they waited there and they prayed and they they made some administrative decisions by, uh, you know, calling out Matthias and maybe he's going to be the one to be the replacement, you know, for Judas and all. And They thought they should do that. So they had their first board meeting or whatever. And as they were doing all that, and as they're in the upper room in one accord, all praying, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And that's what they were there for. All the other stuff, whatever, it was documented, but that's what they were there for was to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And when they do, they came out and they were ministering. And Peter's first sermon that he gives under the power of the Holy Spirit saves 3,000 people. It's a big difference. Peter's the guy that always stuck his foot in his mouth. Peter's the guy that always said the wrong thing, you know? Yeah, Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And he denied him three times. Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. He says, not so, Lord. And it was told and rebuked by Jesus and said, get behind me, Satan. He always said the wrong thing, you know? But when filled with the Holy Spirit, he says the right thing. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter's able to be used by God, to tune out the noise, to be... Used by the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. So the water stood back, and the other prophets are watching. Now they, verse 15, now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain. Or into some valley. And Elisha says, you shall not send anyone. But they urged him until he was ashamed. And he said, send him. Therefore they sent 50 men. And they searched for three days, but did not find him. And when they came back to him, and he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? The 50 prophets who were supposed to be the men of God on the scene brought nothing but confusion to the situation. It was happening just like it was supposed to. This verses 15 through 18 are such a waste of time. And yet, God puts them in His Word for a reason, for you and for I in ministry to see what other people can bring into your ministry sometimes. They bring confusion, they bring bad ideas. They're not led of the Spirit, they're led of the flesh. Not always. Not always. But in this case, hey, uh, how do you know He didn't get tossed on top of some mountain? Well, I guess God could have threw him up on a mountain. How come you know he didn't throw him down in some pit or some low valley? Maybe he needs some help. I don't think he threw him into a valley. I think he took him up into heaven, and now I'm supposed to be the guy that's carrying the mantle. But how do you know? And they kept pressuring him so much that he felt ashamed that he wasn't looking for his master. Well, maybe I ought to be looking for Elijah. Okay, go ahead and send him. See if you can find my master. He's gone. He's in heaven. He's taken up to be with the Lord or, or wherever, I mean, down to Abraham's bosom, but he's gone. He's been taken away. And Elisha knows that, but he doubts because he, for the first time, after being used by God with the mantle, listens to these people that are bringing confusion, that aren't praying about it, that aren't led to the Spirit, that really aren't even a part of this moment. This was simply between Elijah, Elisha, and God. But they insert themselves and find themselves bringing in all this craziness. It's not good. So here's where that fourth group comes in. Because while these 50 people decide to insert themselves into this this moment that's not intended for them, they have no business putting their nose here at all, there's a bunch of people that aren't. They're simply observing and enjoying and, and, and seeing it unfold, you know? elisha later on is going to get a little helper a guy that follows him around and and now he's not always right and he's he's wrong and sees things in a worldly way and not able to see the things of the spirit like elisha does but doesn't try to mess things up you know doesn't try to uh, better the plan that, that's what these guys seem to be doing I know I know you think you're supposed to go here but here's my idea and they where did that come from Did that come from you or did that come from God have you prayed about it you know Is it of the Spirit? Anyway, these guys do not help. All they do is make him doubt him being led of the Lord, and they urged him till he was ashamed. And then after it's all done, he says, Didn't I tell you? Now Elisha has gone from not only not being one of the 50 prophets, he's 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 been brought in to be their teacher, to show them. You know, this is the way it is. It reminds me of in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when the Peter and John were told, you know, we don't want you doing this. We don't want you talking about Jesus at all. The establishment, the religious rulers of the day, insert themselves into Peter and John's ministry that has nothing to do with these religious rulers. They thought they could tell these young bucks, Peter and John, you don't know what you're doing. You don't. And, and they said, we want you to stop doing what you're doing. And as Peter and John defended themselves in the sense they proclaimed Christ Here's what it says, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they, Peter and John, had been with Jesus. So important to get that into our hearts. God doesn't call us into the ministry, fill us with his spirit and tell us to go to school necessarily. He may, you may want to do that. I don't know but it's not necessary. He calls you and oftentimes by the power of his Holy Spirit makes you the professor right off the bat, because you're walking with the spirit. You're listening to the Holy Spirit. He's leading and guiding you into all truth. Don't doubt what the Holy Spirit can do for you as a believer. Don't doubt that. Well, I just, I don't know if I can share the gospel because I just don't know enough. Are you filled with the spirit? Well, yeah, then walk in the Spirit and only say what the Spirit tells you to say and only go where the Spirit tells you to go and only do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do and you'll be the most effective minister on the planet, no matter who you are. It's not about, have I learned enough? Have I done enough? Of course, study to show yourself approved. Of course, read God's Word for your own benefit as well. Understand what you're about to teach. Be able to give it out in a way that people can understand it. But make sure that you have the gift of the of teaching by the power of the Holy Spirit before you do it. That's the key. Anybody can read a chapter and try to teach it, but if they're not gifted to teach the chapter, it doesn't work. I mean, the Word of God never returns void. Don't misunderstand me. I mean, you can share God's Word, but I've I don't know I, I, I I'm I'm just this week somehow or another, one of Copeland or Hagen's videos popped up on my feed, and not a fan of those two people at all, Um, these ministers, Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagen. Anyway, I was watching one of their giant, giant services, and I'm watching their piano player, organ player, whatever he is, just absolutely flip out. He flipped out, and he says under the power of the Holy Spirit, and then as he flips out the 50 prophets that are sitting around him, I just call them, I don't know what they are, they start flipping out too. Then the whole crowd gets it and they all start flipping out and doing their thing. And they all settle down and the camera zooms in and then Hagan's just walking around smiling, you know, and looking at everybody and doing his thing. And it was nauseating to me to watch. This mockery of Christianity, this mockery of what God does. That is not the power of the Holy Spirit. You ever see parodies like Saturday Night Live does a parody on something. They make fun of something. Alec Baldwin's been, or Alex Baldwin's been doing that for Trump and all that. And it's meant to embarrass. It's meant to shame. It's meant to bring disgrace. And that's what those ministries do. God may still move in those ministries, despite those men, despite what he, what's going on there. He may do it because he loves the people and he wants them healed. He wants that, but make no mistake about it. They're a mockery. As they zoom in on this piano player or organ player, he's He's helping and puffing like, I just can't believe it. I was brought into the power of the Holy Spirit and freaked out like that. And I didn't know, oh, I was just trying to catch his breath. And then he got up and started singing a song. Such an act, such theatrics. So not the Holy Spirit. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is. Gentleness, self-control, long-suffering, patience, kindness, joy, not spaz, flop. None of that stuff. It's embarrassing. So when I say that, these guys who are unestablishment, Peter, John, and these other, and Elisha, they come into the ministry, and there's no education that needs to be done. There's no training that needs to be done. They're filled with the Spirit, and under the power of the Holy Spirit, they're able to use the gifts of the Spirit properly to be a blessing to other people, to teach the Word of God, to bring prophecy, to bring clarity, to bring peace, not to bring confusion. So Elisha does some miracles here. Verse 19, then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the uh, situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. How are we going to do this? And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. This is Elisha. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said thus says the Lord I have healed the healed this water uh, from it from it there shall be no more death or barrenness so the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha which he spoke This is in Jericho This is where the 50 prophets went to school this is where they lived right But it wasn't until Elisha shows up that this well was healed. Why couldn't these 50 prophets do it? What was it about them that couldn't heal the water? Power of the Lord, power of the Spirit. They can prophesy once in a while, and like a clock, they're right twice a day. Like a broken clock, they're right twice a day. But for the most part, they were no blessing to the community. Elisha comes in and says, Well, give me a new bowl with salt. In. And he poured it. Now, some try to explain this away as this some sort of bacteria and the salt healed it and all that. It's nothing to do with that. It's a miracle. It, is, it isn't about that. It, it's not about killing the bacteria inside of the well because it'll come back. Salt will perish, the water will get used up. But to this day, that well is still pure. It's still being uh, giving out good water and as they put this water on the soil it's it's making sure that the land is able to bear fruit you know he did what he did because god told him to do it i'd take a new bowl why a new bowl why not an old bowl because god said a new bowl because i want salt and i want to pour that salt into the well and it's going to make it clean we're called to be salty as christians we're called to be that salt in this world and it's a miracle that when we're in a room that when we're opening our mouths and sharing the truth in love. It purifies what's around us. It may not make friends and influence people uh, for sure, um, but it saves. It saves people from death. It makes the barren land fruitful again. It makes the water drinkable. You see, we're called to that as Christians, to be salty, to be uh, flavorful, to not lose our saltiness, lest we be just cast out on the path and, And and trodden over, the Bible says, just meant to to keep the weeds down. No, we're meant for more than that. We're called to more than that. And so he does that. And it's a beautiful example, wonderful picture. Now, not everybody's happy with him. He just cleaned up the water for the whole city. He just made sure the land was not barren anymore. And here's the next thing that happens. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came, from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. So they're making fun of him. So Elijah was the hairy guy and Elisha apparently is a much different guy, eh, no hair, and he starts making fun of his appearance. Get out of here, baldy. So Elisha turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord and two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youth. Wow. Right? This guy's picked it up quick as far as what it means to be under the power of the Lord and to use and to be used by him. Not going to put up with this stuff. First of all, he's not in a good mood. He's just lost his friend, Elijah, his mentor, his spiritual father. He's got these 50 prophets making noise and now he's got these youth trying to, and who knows, maybe they were violent. Maybe they're throwing rocks at him along the way. I don't know. But they're telling him, go up, Baldy, like Elijah did. Why don't you go up like he did? Why don't you just get out of here, you know, kind of thing. We don't want to have anything to do with you. So he pronounces a curse on them, and two mother bears come out and maul these guys, two females. Now, I'm not saying that we should do that every day, but I do want to take some encouragement in that in the sense that they're going to have opposition, but it's not the opposition you should be worried about. The opposition needs to be worried about the God you serve. Very important. I don't pronounce curses on a lot of people. But there are some prayers that i prayed in the past. It's like, you know what, God? Kind of done. But that's up to you what you want to do. But I'm leaving them in your hands to do with what you want to do with them. And I'm at peace. Let's put it that way. I have peace in my heart. I wouldn't pronounce a curse on anybody. I want them to get saved. I want to put up with and be long-suffering like I'm supposed to. But there are days... It's like, you know, I don't want to hear it today. Delete, you know. Um, So God deletes some youth here uh, that were bothering him. Verse 25, Then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. That's an interesting first few days of your ministry, isn't it? Can you imagine that? What Elisha went through. That's a lot. But, Boy, when God calls you into the ministry, stand by, because it comes fast and furious. Here we go. God, I don't want to lag behind. I don't want to run ahead, but I certainly want to keep up. I want to be right where God wants me to be, and I pray that you would be able to do that. That whatever God calls you to do this week, you'd be right in tune with him. You'd be right in step with him. That you wouldn't lag behind through unbelief. You wouldn't jump ahead with presumption, presumptuousness and arrogance or pride or anything, but we'd stay right in line like Elisha does being led of the Spirit, where to go, when to go, what to say, what to do, and allow the Holy Spirit to do ministry through you and through me. That's our prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement. As we see so much about ministry in this one chapter, how spiritual fathers are important to us, how they don't always live and they pass on, and we've got to continue on with what God's called us to do. But there's always going to be noise in the ministry. And there's also going to be power, though. That the power of the Holy Spirit is with us like he was with all the others. You have not reduced your power at all. If there's any reduction in power, it's on my end. It's on my unbelief. So God, help us to walk in belief, to walk by faith, to let you do ministry through us, to allow you to equip us for the ministry, to simply go to Bethel, to simply go to Jericho, to simply go to the places you tell us to go. When you tell us to go there, say the things you want us to say and do the things you call us to do, God. And I pray that you would get all the glory. I pray that um, we would rest and wait on you. Lord, thank you for all the folks that are watching and who are able to listen to this. I pray that you bless them. Everybody's going through different things at different times. And this chapter would have spoken to them differently. But I thank you that your Holy Spirit is able to make your word alive and sharper than any two-edged sword to cut between the joint and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit and minister to each person right where they are. And I pray that they're blessed. I pray that they're encouraged and they have peace in their hearts and they have direction now if they didn't have it before. We love you so much and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.